Section 12 The Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Barring Gould. Section 12 A Professional Secret. Part 3. When his mother returned, she was full of solicitude. What was the matter, Joe, dear? she inquired. I wasn't feeling very well, he explained, but I shall be better presently. I hope it will not interfere with your appetite, Joe. I have cold lamb and mint sauce for our early dinner. I shall peck a bit, I trust, said Mr. Leveridge. But during dinner he was abstracted and silent. All at once he brought down his fist on the table. I've hit it, he exclaimed, and a flush of color mantled his face to the temples. "'My dear,' said his mother, "'you have made all the plates and dishes jump, "'and I've nearly upset the water-bottle.' "'Excuse me, mother. "'I really must go to my room.' "'He rose, made a sign to his characters, "'and they all rose and trooped after him "'into his private apartment. "'When they were within, he said to his hero, "'May I trouble you kindly to shut the door and turn the key? "'My mother will be anxious and come after me, "'and I want a word with you all.' It will not take two minutes. I see my way to our mutual accommodation. Do not be uneasy and suspicious. I will make no further attempt at evasion. Meet me tomorrow morning at 9.48, down train. I am going to take you all with me to Swanton. A tap at the door. Open. It's my mother, said Joseph. Mrs. Leveridge entered with a face of concern. What's the matter with you, Joe? she said. If we were not both of us water-drinkers, I should say that you've been indulging in spirits. Mother, I must positively be off to Swanton tomorrow morning. I see my way now. All will come right. How, my precious boy? I cannot explain. I see my way to clearing up the unpleasantness caused by that unfortunate novel of mine. Pack my trunk, mother. Not on the Sabbath, lovey. No, tomorrow morning. I start by the 9.48 a.m., we all go together. We? Am I to accompany you? No, no, we. Did I say? It is a habit I've got into as an author. Authors like royal personages speak of themselves as we. Joseph Leveridge was occupied during the afternoon in writing to his victims at Swanton. First he penned a note to Mrs. Baker that he would require his lodgings from the morrow, and that he had something to say to her that would afford her much gratification. He wrote to the vicar, expressed his regret for having deprived him of his personality, and requested him, if he would do him the favor, to call in the evening at 7.30 at his lodging in West Street. He had something of special importance to communicate to him. He apologized for not himself calling at the vicarage, but said that there were circumstances that made it more desirable that he should see his reverence privately in his own lodgings. Next, he addressed an epistle to Mr. Stork. He assured him that he, Joseph Leveridge, had felt keenly the wrong he had done him, and that he had forfeited his esteem and ill-repaid his kindness, had acted in a manner towards his employer that was dishonorable. But, he added, he had found a means of rectifying what was wrong. He placed himself unreservedly in the hands of Mr. Stork, and entreated him to meet him at his rooms in West Street on the ensuing evening at 7.45, when he sincerely trusted that the past would be forgotten, and a brighter future would be assured. 
This was followed by a former letter couched to Mr. Box. He invited him to call at Mrs. Baker's lodgings on that same evening at 8 p.m., as he had business of an important and far-reaching nature to discuss with him. If Mr. Box considered that he, Joseph Leverage, had done him an injury, he was ready to make what reparation lay in his power. Taking a fresh sheet of notepaper, he now wrote a fifth letter, this to Mr. Wertherspoon, requesting the honor of a call at his diggings at 8.15 p.m., when matters of controversy between them could be amicably adjusted. The ensuing letter demanded some deliberation. It was to Asphodel. He wrote it out twice before he was satisfied with the mode in which it was expressed. He endeavored to disguise, under words full of respect, yet not disguise too completely, the sentiments of his heart. But he was careful to let drop nothing at which she might take umbrage. He entreated her to be so gracious as to allow him an interview by the side of the river at the hour of 8.30 on Monday evening. He apologized for venturing to make such a demand, but he intimidated that the matter he had to communicate was so important and so urgent that it could not well be postponed till Tuesday, and that it was also most necessary that the interview should be private. It was something he had to say that would materially, no, not materially, but morally affect her, and it would relieve his mind from a burden of remorse that had become to him wholly intolerable. The final, the seventh letter, was to Major Dolgely Jones, and was more brief. It merely intimidated that he had something of the utmost importance to communicate to his private ear, and for this purpose he desired the favor of a call at Mrs. Baker's lodgings at 8.45 on Monday evening. These letters dispatched, Mr. Leverage felt easier in mind and lighter in heart. He slept well the ensuing night, better than he had for long. His creations did not so greatly disturb him. He was aware that he was still kept under surveillance, but the watch was not so strict, nor so galling as hitherto. On Monday morning he was at the station, and took his ticket for Swanton. One ticket sufficed as his companions, who awaited him on the platform, were imaginary characters. When he took his seat, they pressed into the carriage after him. Poppy secured the seat next to him, but the window placed herself opposite, and exerted all her blandishment with the hope of engrossing his whole attention. At a junction all got out, and Joseph provided himself with a luncheon basket and mineral water. The characters watched him discussing the half-chicken and slabs of ham with the liveliest interest, and were especially observant of his treatment of the paper-thin napkin, wherewith he wiped his fingers and mouth. At last he arrived at Swanton and engaged a cab, as he was encumbered with a portmanteau. Lady Mabel, Poppy, and the widow could easily be accommodated within, the two latter with their backs to the horses. Joseph would willingly have resigned his seat to either of these, but they would not hear of it. A gentle altercation ensued between the parson and the solicitor as to which should ride on the box. The lawyer desired to yield the place to the cloth, but the parson would not hear of this. The silver hairs of the other claimed precedence. The stockbroker mounted the roof on the fly, and the clerical gentleman hung on behind. The hero professed his readiness to walk. Eventually the cab drew up at Mrs. Baker's door. The stout, elderly lady received her old lodger without effusion and with languid interest. The look of the house was not what it had been. It had deteriorated. The windows had not been cleaned, nor banisters dusted. "'My dear old landlady, I am so glad to see you again,' said Joseph. 
thank you sir you ordered no meal but i have got two mutton chops in the larder and can mash some potatoes at what time would you like your supper sir she had become a machine a thing of routine not yet thank you i have business to transact first and i shall not be disengaged before nine o'clock but i have something to say to you mrs baker and i will say it at once and get it over if you will kindly step up into the parlor she did so sighing at each step of stairs as she ascended all the characters mounted as well and entering the little sitting-room arranged themselves against the wall facing the door mrs baker was a portly woman aged about forty-five and plain-featured she had formerly been neat now she was dowdy before she had lost her character she never appeared in that room without removing her apron but on this occasion she wore it and it was not clean widow said joseph addressing his character will you kindly step forward i would do anything for you with a roll of eyes dear mrs baker said leveridge i feel that i have done you a grievous wrong well sir i ain't been myself since you put me in your book my purpose is now to undo the past and to provide you with a character then turning to the skittish widow of his creation he said now then slip into and occupy her i don't like the tentament said the widow pouting whether you like it or not protested joseph you must have that or no other he waved his hand presto he exclaimed instantly a wondrous change was effected in mrs baker she whipped off the apron and crammed it under the sofa cushion she wriggled in her movements she eyed herself in the glass and exclaimed oh my what a fright i am i'll be back again in a minute when i have changed my gown and done up my hair we can dispense with your presence mrs baker said leveridge sternly i will ring for you when you are wanted at that moment a rap on the door was heard and mrs baker having first dropped a coquettish curtsey to her lodger tripped downstairs to admit the vicar and showed him up to mr leveridge's apartment you may go mrs baker said he for she seemed inclined to linger when she had left the room joseph contemplated the reverend gentleman he wore a crestfallen appearance he looked as if he had been out in the rain all night without a pale tot his cheeks were flabby his mouth drooped at the corners his eyes were vacant and his whiskers no longer stuck out horrescent and assertive dear vicar said leveridge i cannot forgive myself in former times mr leveridge would not have dreamed of addressing the reverend gentleman in this familiar manner but it was other now and that latter looked so limp and forlorn dear vicar i cannot forgive myself for the trouble i have brought upon you it has weighed on me as a nightmare for i know that it is not you only who have suffered but also the whole parish of swanton happily a remedy is at hand i have here he waved to the parson of his creation i have here an individuality that i can give you and henceforth if you'll not be precisely yourself again you will be a personality in your parish and the diocese he waved his hand presto in the twinkling of an eye all was changed in the vicar of swanton he straightened himself his expression altered to what it had never been before 
the cheeks became firm and lines formed about the mouth indicative of force of character and of self-restraint the eye assumed an eager look as into far distances as seeking something beyond the horizon the vicar walked to the mirror over the mantel-shelf bless me he said i must go to the barber's and have these whiskers off and he hurried downstairs after a little pause in the proceedings mrs baker now very trim with a blue ribbon round her neck hanging down in streamers behind ushered up mr stork the lawyer had a faded appearance as if he had been exposed to too strong a sunlight he walked in with an air of lack of interest and sank into a chair my dear old master said leveridge it is my purpose to restore you to all your former energy and to supply you with what you may possibly have lacked previously he signed to the white-haired family solicitor he had called into fictitious being and waved his hand at once mr stork stood up and shook his legs as though shaking crumbs from his trousers his breast swelled and he threw back his head his eyes shone clear and was steady mr leveridge said he i have had my eye on you sir had my eye on you i have marked your character as one of uncompromising probity i hate shiftiness i abhor duplicity i have been disappointed with my clerks i could not always trust them to do the right thing i want to strengthen and brace my firm but i will not take into partnership with myself any one but of the strictest integrity sir i have marked you i have marked you mr leveridge call on me tomorrow morning and we will consider the preliminaries for a partnership don't talk to me of buying a partnership i have not done so sir i know you have not i will take you in sir for your intrinsic value an honest man is worth his weight in gold and is as scarce as the precious metal then with dignity mr stork withdrew and passed mr box the grocer mounting the stairs well mr box said leveridge how wags the world with you badly sir since you booked me i mentioned to you sir that i trusted my little business would for a while go on by its own momentum it has sir it has but the momentum has been downhill i can't control it i have not the personality to do so to serve as a drag to urge it upwards i am in daily expectation sir of a regular smash-up i am sorry to hear this said leveridge but i think i have found the means of putting all to rights presto he waved his hand and the imaginary character of stockbroker had actualized himself in the body of mr box i see how you do it by ginger i do exclaimed the grocer a spark coming to his eye i'll run my little concern on quite other lines and look you here mr leveridge i bet you my bottom dollar that i'll run into a tremendous success become a second lipton and keep a yacht as mr box bounced out of the room and proceeded to run downstairs he ran against and nearly knocked over mrs baker the lady was whispering to and coquetting with mr wertherspoon who was on the landing that gentleman in his condition of lack of individuality was like a teetotum spun in the hands of the designing mrs baker who put forth all the witchery she possessed or supposed that she possessed to entangle him in an amorous intrigue come in shouted joseph leveridge and mr wertherspoon looking hot and frightened and very shy tottered in and sank into a chair 
He was too much shaken and perturbed by the advances of Mrs. Baker to be able to speak. There, said Joseph, addressing his hero, you cannot do better than animate that feeble creature. Go. Instantly, Mr. Wertherspoon sprang to his feet. By George, said he, I wonder that never struck me before. I'll at once volunteer to go out to South Africa and have a shot at those canting, lying, treacherous boars. If I come back with a score of their scalps at my waist, I shall have deserved well of my country. I will volunteer at once. But I say, leverage, clear thinking that hulking, fat old lady out of the way. She blocks the stairs, and I can't kick down a woman. When Mr. Wertherspoon was gone, Well, said Poppy, what have you got for me? If you'll come with me, Poppy dear, I will serve you as well as the rest. I hope better than you did that odious little widow, but she's well paid out. Follow me to the riverside, said Joseph. At 8.33 I am due there, and so is another, a lady. And pray, why did you not make her come here instead of lugging me all the way down there? Because I could not make an appointment with a young lady in my bachelor's apartments. That's all very fine, but I am there. Yes, you. But you are only an imaginary character, and she is a substantial reality. I think I had better accompany you, said Lady Mabel. I think not. If your ladyship will kindly occupy my fauteuil until I return, that chair will ever after be sacred to me. Come along, Poppy. I'm game, said she. On reaching the riverside, Joseph saw that Miss Vincent was walking there in a listless manner, not straight, but swerving from side to side. She saw him, but did not quicken her pace, nor did her face lighten up with interest. Now then, said he to Poppy, what do you think of her? She ain't bad, answered the fictitious character. She is very pretty, certainly, but inanimate. You will change that. I'll try, you bet. Asphodel came up. She bowed, but did not extend her hand. Miss Vincent, said Joseph, how good of you to come. Not at all. I could not help. I have no free will left. When you wrote come, I came. I could do no other. I have no initiative, no power of resistance. I do hope, Miss Vincent, that the thing you so feared has not happened. What thing? You have not been snapped up by a fortune hunter? No. People have not yet found out that I have lost my individuality. I have kept very much to myself. That is to say, not to myself, as I have no proper myself left. I mean to the semblance of myself. People have thought I was anemic. Leverage turned aside. Well, Poppy. Right you are. Leverage waved his hand. Instantly, all the inertia passed away from the girl. She stood erect and firm. A merry twinkle kindled in her eye. A flush was on her cheek. A mischievous devilry played about her lips. I feel, said she, as another person. Oh, I am so glad, Miss Vincent. That is a pretty speech to make to a lady. Glad I am different from what I was before. I did not mean that. I meant, in fact, I meant as you were, and as you are. You are always charming. Thank you, sir, said Asphodel, curtsying and laughing. Ah, Miss Vincent, at all times you have seemed to me the ideal of womanhood. I have worshipped the very ground you have trod upon. Fiddlesticks! He looked at her. For a moment he was bewildered. 
oblivious that the old personality of Asphodel had passed into his book and that the new personality of Poppy had invaded Asphodel. Well, said she, is that all you have to say to me? All? Oh, no, I could say a great deal. I have ordered my supper for nine o'clock. Oh, how obtuse you men are! Come, is this leap year? I really believe it is. Then I shall take the privilege of the year and offer you my hand and heart and fortune. There. Now it only remains with you to name the day. Oh, Miss Vincent, you have overcome me. Stuff and nonsense. Call me Asphodel, do, Joe. Mr. Leveridge walked back to his lodgings as if he trod on air. As he passed by the churchyard, he noticed the vicar, now shaven and shorn, laboring at a laden wheelbarrow. He halted at the rails and said, Why, vicar, what are you about? The sexton has begun a grave for old Betty Goodman, and it's unfinished. He must dig another. He turned over the wheelbarrow and shot its contents into the grave. But what are you doing? again asked Joseph. Burying the mitre hymnals, replied the vicar. The clock struck a quarter to nine. I must hurry, exclaimed Joseph. On reaching his lodgings, he found Major Daljelly Jones in his sitting room, sitting on the edge of his table, tossing up a tennis ball. In the armchair, invisible to the Major, reclined Lady Mabel. I'm so sorry to be late, apologized Joseph. How are you, sir? Below par. I have been so ever since you put me into your book. I have no appetite for golf. I can do nothing to pass the weary hours but toss up and down a tennis ball. I hope, Joseph began, and then a horror seized on him. He had no personality of his creation left but that of Lady Mabel. Would it be possible to translate that into the Major? He remained silent, musing for a while, and then said hesitatingly to the lady, Here, my lady, is the body you are to individualize. But it is that of a man. There is no other left. It is hardly delicate. There is no help for it. Then turning to the Major, he said, I am very sorry. It's really no fault of mine, but I have only a female personality to offer you, and that elderly. It is all one to me, replied the Major. Catch. He caught the ball. Many of our generals are old women. I am agreeable, place aux dames. But, protested Lady Mabel, you made me a member of a very ancient titled house that came over with the conqueror. The personality I offer you, said I to the major, though female, is noble. The family is named in the role of Battle Abbey. Oh, said Dulgely Jones, I descended from one of the royal families of Powys, Linley from Coswallen and here, and male Gwyn Gwynedd, long before the conqueror was thought of. Well, then, said Leveridge, and waved his hand. In Swanton it is known that the Major now never plays golf. He keeps rabbits. It is with some scruple that I insert this record in the Book of Ghosts. For actually it is not a story of ghosts, but a greater scruple moved me as to whether I should be justified in revealing a professional secret known only among such as belong to the confraternity of the writers of fiction. But I have observed so much complexity arise, 
so much friction caused by persons suddenly breaking into a course of conduct or into actions so entirely inconsistent with their former conduct as to stagger their acquaintances and friends henceforth to use a vulgarism since i have let the cat out of the bag they will know that such persons have been used up by novel writers that have known them and to have replaced the stolen individualities with others freshly created this is the explanation and the explanation has up to the present remained a professional secret end of section 12 recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceover-solutions.com